here on Twilight Football, FNR Football Nation Radio. It is uh, not Twilight where our next guest is at. Three hours back in time over in Perth, Seven West Media's Ben Smith. Ben, how are you? Hey, Josh. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's our absolute pleasure because I think not enough has been made of the departure of one of the great legends of the A-League's modern era, and that is Diego Castro leaving Perth Glory. He penned a very classy open, open letter to the supporters, uh, which was uh, very poetic, I thought. I'm not sure if he wrote that himself or if it was ghostwritten by the PFA, but uh, it was a lovely sentiment. It does feel yeah, yeah. slightly unceremonious to me the way he's been sort of shoved out the door to make room for Daniel Sturridge, though. Yeah, it's it's been a weird, uh, like you say, it was it's kind of it's been a very weird ending to the uh, career, or or at least his you know the, the, his stint with Perth Glory, uh, given he is one of the A League's greatest players of all time, um, and you know probably playing a part in that was a fact. Where at the end of last A League se- A League men's season, he obviously said, you know, there was rumours he was going to retire. You know, he didn't have a hadn't signed a contract for the upcoming season. Uh, everyone, you know, but it was strongly hinted by you know both by the man himself that he was going to retire. He had that final game at uh, at HBF Park where he you know said farewell from the fans for it seemed at the time for, you know, one last time, but he never officially said that he was going to retire. Um, it felt at the time like that was the end of his glory career, but then there was never any official announcement about it. Um, and then, you know, as the off-season kind of progressed, I think there was a, a sense of optimism amongst Perth Glory fans that he was in line to return. There were reports in the West Australian by my colleague Nick Taylor that... Uh, you know, the glory were in talks with him to bring him back for another season for, you know, a last dance, so to speak. Uh, apologies for uh, using that cliche. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he did kind of see, you know, about halfway through the offseason, it kind of felt like, you know, he was going to return to the glory. Uh, and then, you know, kind of, I kept reading these reports that, you know, Gloria was still in negotiations with him and they were still in negotiations with him, still in negotiations with him. And then all of a sudden, you know, suddenly the season's, you know, a month and a half away. Uh, he's still not signed. And uh, yeah, we and then fast forward to now and yet the book is finally closed. You know, like you say, it was a bit unceremonious with, you know, him, I guess, being... Uh, shoved out the door you know so they could sign Sturridge but by by all accounts you know from what I've heard from you know what's been reported uh the glory did want to bring Castro back I think Castro was you know he was certainly open to the idea of coming back um it sounded like his uh wife was you know was a bit homesick uh that she wanted to return to Spain and that was you know where this kind of uncertainty came from, you know, I think he, he obviously wanted to do right by his family, which you know, I, I think we can all respect. Um, and, yeah, so he, I think he just kind of held off on pulling the trigger on a new deal with Glory and eventually the Glory kind of felt, well, look, with all respect to Diego and everything he's done, we do have to finalise our playing squad. With, mm. You know, there's a chance we can sign Daniel Sturridge uh, here, who's, you know, uh, and it, you know, if he stays fit, he's an amazing player, but he's also, you know, seven or eight years younger than Diego, who is fast approaching 40. Do we really want to be spending that amount of money on, uh, you know, someone who's, 
you know, close to his, uh, you know, close to 40 when we can spend that money on Dan- Daniel Sturridge. So it has been a very unceremonious, you know, departure. But, you know, from a club side, I can kind of understand it. It does seem like they were really, you know, keen to have Diego back. And I think Diego, there was a big part of Diego but wanted to stay. It was just, you know, family, you know, family wanted to return to Spain, which, you know, they've been in Australia five years and, you know, with a pandemic over the last 18 months as well, must be, it must have, that, uh, you know, gap between Australia and Spain must have felt even larger. So, um, yeah, it could really sympathise with, with both sides, really. Do you think that his decision not to play in the bubble, I know this going back a while, factored into this at all, and also his like the gen- general sense of him being slightly unreliable and going AWOL a little bit. You know, there's there's been instances, you know, of course with the bubble and, you know, him sort of going off in a caravan and deciding that he didn't want any part of this, you know, COVID-riddled uh, country. And, and uh, you know, he, he's always seemed to be a little bit uh, of an enigma, a bit of an outsider. And as you say, with the, the contract negotiations, him not quite coming to the table there, do you think there's part of you know, the management at Perth Glory that said oh, he can't really accommodate this guy and his eccentricities anymore? Um, well, first of all, I wish he would have filmed what he did when he went away <laughs> on that kind of caravan tour during the bubble because I, I, I would watch that. I would love a Diego Castro-directed uh, uh, documentary of his uh, travels. Sort of man uh, versus wild <laughs> <laughs> up the northwest coast. Yeah, oh, I could I could see him, you know, perched on a beach up in uh, up in Geraldton, or you know, uh, or maybe even on the beach, you know, him and his family, you know, uh, having a having some fun times with the dolphins up at Monkey Mile. It would have been uh, just wholesome family uh, fun. Um, but yeah, I think moving back to that point, I th- there's, I'm definitely sure there's part of Glory which was frustrated with Castro, um, you know, not just with the recent contract negotiations, but like you say, the, you know, his disappearance during the bubble. In fact, he did enjoy uh, these quite uh, elongated uh, off-seasons and pre-seasons prior to Tony Popovich's uh, arrival at the club, although it should be pointed out that the club effectively did sign off on those. So, um, and, you know, if... Nice work if you can get it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, if they were... I'm sure there was a part of him which was frustrated with, with you know, the fact that he did take a bit of extra time off. Uh, but, you know, he, hey, they had to sign off on it, so you can only be so angry at something that you've uh, kind of approved. Uh, I've, I def- I think a lot of, I, it, like you say, said earlier, Diego is a bit of an enigma, you know. He is quite a private person by all accounts. Uh, I don't think he particularly likes fame but he also seems to be a very thoughtful person and you know when he has penned these you know this you know these these articles uh, that have appeared on, on the pfa website he seems like a very intellectual very cerebral person who you know quite emo- emotional which you know and you see all of that on the pitch as well you know he's a very intelligent very emotional guy on the field as well as off it um i i've never really was from like personally, I never really felt um, upset over his decision to forego the bubble. I think you know it was a global pandemic; everyone was scared. No one really knew what was going on um, at that point, and I think a lot of us still really don't know what's going on. Uh, but for me, you know, I think you've got to do right by, in, in that situation here to do right by his family. I can under 
stand him not wanting to leave his family, you know, in a foreign land in the middle of a global pandemic um, by themselves for, you know, two months just so he could play football. Um, maybe he felt, you know, he just he just wanted some family time at that point. And I do get, you know, he's contracted to the club. Uh, you know, he did have a job to do, but I feel, you know, there's, uh, you know, you need to take care of your family. You know, family comes first, especially, you know, given the events of the past 18 months. I was, I'm sure there are lots of Glory fans who were very upset that he, you know, chose family over his job in that uh, circumstance. I'm sure there are many people within the club who were furious with that decision. Um, but it was never something I never, I personally never felt it was right to, you know, completely judge him because, you know, like I said, he's a very private person. We don't know. Mm. We'll pro- we probably never know, never will know exactly why he took that caravan tour of WA. Um, if, if anything, it just kind of adds to the legend of Diego. Um, you know, who is he? No one, I'm not sure. No one at, Many people outside of the club really know who he is. I think he keeps quite a you know tight knit inner circle. Um, but yeah, I've I never felt he was unreliable. I felt like there were all the, always these um, you know there was always a bit of a myth that Diego was an un, was unreliable. You know, in terms of you know his late starts to the season. You know, the, his decision to forego the end of the 2019-20 season. But I think when he played, you know, he was anything but unreliable. Mm, absolutely. I mean, the, the uh, output on the field always seemed to outweigh the sort of uh, privileges he was sometimes granted off it. I did laugh in his farewell letter where he specifically thanked Kenny Lowe, uh, maybe for <laughs> those relaxed pre-seasons and allowing him a couple of months to play himself into shape. But amongst the fans, you say this sort of legend is only added to his uh, exalted status. Uh where does he rank in kind of the, the pantheon when it comes to all-time Perth glory greats, but also all-time, I guess, fan favourites and, you know, sentimental favourites? I think personally for me, the Perth glory of Mount Rushmore starts with Diego Castro. He is one. He's number one on the list of Perth glory players to ever you know, take the field, to ever score in front of a shed, to ever, you know, to, to, well, to win a trophy as he did with the uh, Premier's Plate a few years ago. Uh, I think, you know, I have a lot of respect for the likes of Jamie Harnwell, Scott Miller, Bobby Despotovsky, Gareth Navin, Jason Pekovic. Uh, I believe I'm missing someone. I think I said Maureen Despotovsky. Uh, uh, but, yeah, I have a lot of respect for the NSL legends uh, and, you know, the previous A-League a- legends of the club. Uh, I, you know, I grew up watching, you know, Bobby Despotovsky and Damien Maury and Jamie Harnwell, you know, at Perth Oval, mm-hmm. as it was known back then. Uh, I still go back and rewatch games every now and then. For me, Diego is the best player to ever pull on the purple shirt. He is—he was an, out, you know, a fantastically talented player. Someone who was, you know, could, you know, well, he came to the A League from La Liga uh, for, and had, you know, had a pretty solid season in La Liga before he arrived at, in Perth. Despite his advancing years, uh, for me, he is just—he—he yeah, he was magnificent. It was an absolute pleasure to watch El Maestro. You know, week in, week out, strut his stuff. And like you say, you know, he was given all these affordances off the field, you know, with the late preseason starts. But, you know, even with those late preseason starts, he'd come in and he'd just start bossing the game. He'd still take over games. He, he couldn't do it for as long because the fitness wasn't there, but he just had this talent that we, you know, that we couldn't, um, you know, that 
was just so far above the rest of the league. But even though he was coming from a much lower fitness base, he could just bend games to his will. You know, he could, you know, still produce these magical moments. And it was, um, there's never really been a player like him at Glory. I think Despotovsky was probably the one closest. He was this kind of mercurial uh, striker, you know, in a, you know, I guess in a bit of a Dennis Bergkamp mould. But, you mm-hmm. know, he also scored a bag of goals as well, in addition to being this uh, creator who, you know, helped Damian Mori score. A, a similarly large bag of goals. And I think I think Castro, a lot of the glory legends who have been at the club have been Australian. Castro is, you know, he's the, the guy from Spain. He came in as this, you know, uh, you know, Spanish lad who had played in La Liga, you know, he was kind of in his mid-30s when he first joined the club. I think when he signed, there wasn't too much fanfare, you know. There was a lot made in the local media. Oh, he's... He actually, he scored it at the Bernabeu against Real Madrid. That was his kind of selling point. And, uh, you know, it took him a few games to hit his stride. I think I seem to recall there was a, about eight or nine games into his career at Glory. He had this fantastic performance against Adelaide United where they won 3-1. And that was the first time I think a lot of Glory fans started to realise there's a, there's a pretty good player we've uh, managed to secure. And then... Uh, think his no matter what had what would happen you know at this point a lot of glory fans didn't know you know were not to know that Castro was going to stay for another five years and go down as an all-time legend but at that you know by the end of his maiden campaign he'd already written himself into Perth glory folklore that was the campaign you know where Kenny Lowe's team were maybe not playing their best football um, and then, you know, they started pretty slowly and then they won 11 of their last 12 games to make the finals. Castro ended up winning uh, the Johnny Warren medal that season. Mm-hmm. Um, he was magnificent in that do or die game against Melbourne City uh, where they needed a win to basically, uh, you know, secure their spot in the finals. And he, he, had, he had an assist and he had that absolutely magical volley at the shed end, which I can still remember, you know, Mike Cockrell's commentary call of that is simply splendid. He, uh, mm-hmm. I, I was in the press box for that game. I had a perfect view of that volley. And as soon as it came off his foot, you knew it was going bottom corner. It was magical. And I think that was when every Glory fan knew for sure, like, this guy is not just a good player, but he is possibly the most talented player to ever play for the club already. And he went about cementing that status over the next, you know, five or six seasons. Um, and every year it kind of, this love for Diego grew. Uh, there's a there's a, a really important thing I think a lot of Eastern states people don't know about Western Australians is we, Western Australians are very parochial. We feel, mm-hmm. you know, there's a real sense, among, especially among the psych, psyche of WA sports fans, we feel like if you look at AFL, if you look at cricket, if you look at football, um it generally, WA sports fans generally feel that the Eastern States media don't really pay attention to the big names of, you know, coming out of Western Australia. You see it all the time in the footy with the Eagles and Dockers. Um, there's always a lot of Eagles and Dockers fans, you know, wondering why their teams aren't getting credit from, you know, from from the uh, Melbourne media. Um, and it's very similar for football. There's a lot of Glory fans who feel Castro is one of the, you know, is, you know, one of the top three A-League players of all time. And they definitely feel that 
you know, this, the, the, you know, the media machine over East has not given him his due credit. I think if Castro, I, I mean, I certainly feel, you know, the way that he is, his kind of departure has kind of unfolded over the last, you know, couple of weeks, there hasn't really been too many, you know, too many, you know, tributes to him in the media. It kind of feels like another just, if there's almost a sense that it's just another player who has retired. I mean, we're talking about Diego Castro. We're talking about a guy who dominated the league for five or six years, who was a Johnny Warren medalist, who helped Gloria win their first, you know, piece of silverware in, you know, in more than a decade, who, you know, who almost hand, single-handedly dragged Glory back into relevance at times. You know, he was just such such a force of nature. And, you know, Glory fans loved that they had a player they could call their own who hadn't played for any of the Eastern States teams for any of those other teams. I'm using quote, air quotes there. I'm sure um, the listeners obviously won't be able to see that. But, you know, like I said, WA people were very parochial. Diego was, he may have come from Spain, but he was a WA boy to Perth Glory fans. Well, now that Diego has stepped away from the club, I've got two, one big thing. Is there any chance of we see him in another A-League club's shirt or is that a no-go? I think we could. Uh, you know, he obviously loves Australia a lot. Um, you know, it. I, I've always got the sense this off-season that, you know, from everything that was reported uh, over here, he was probably going to head back to, you know, Spain, uh, you know, for family reasons and that's fair enough, but... You know, I did see you know, someone saying today, uh, you know, maybe he'll go to India, play for a few months, then maybe he'll come back, head back to the A-League at some point. It would be it'd be very weird seeing Diego Castro in a non-Perth Glory shirt if, uh, but playing in the A-League. It just, it just wouldn't feel right. It would be like when Ben Cousins ended up at uh, Richmond. Yeah, for, <laughs> that didn't is, end uh, up well. Yeah, no, it did not. Nothing, not... <laughs> Ben Cousins' uh, story has uh, fortunately not had very many happy endings so far. Um, and, yeah, I think, Diego, like, Diego obviously is notched down from Ben Cousins in terms of importance to the WA sporting public. But to Glory fans, you know, it would it would kill them, I think, if uh, Diego was to, you know, maybe join a Sydney or a Melbourne, especially a Sydney or a Melbourne. I think if it was someone like a... Uh, you know, maybe if it was a MacArthur or Central Coast or Newcastle, uh, Glory fans would be a bit upset, but they'd also be quite happy to. They would welcome Diego back with open arms. I feel to an extent, if he, uh, you know, played against them uh, at HBF Park. But I think if he went to a big, a big Melbourne side, like if he went to Melbourne City or Melbourne Victory or or Sydney FC or even Brisbane Raw, because there's a lot of Glory fans who. Still hold a grudge against Brisbane Raw for that grand they, final. Yep. Okay. But yeah, there is a that that glory Brisbane rivalry has kind of simmered and gone down over the last few years. But I think if I could, Glory fans still have very hard feelings about that grand final. Understand and understandably too. Uh, if Diego pulled on a Brisbane Raw orange shirt, he I don't think Glory fans would take that news. Very well at all. I think they would boo him mercilessly. So, can uh, he only tarnish his legacy if he goes on to play for another Australian club? I mean, there's. I think the one that makes most sense to me, and I don't think it's going to happen at all. I think he'll probably go play overseas uh, back home or in the Middle East or something. But 
Popovich at Melbourne Victory might be a draw. Did those two have a strong relationship or uh, did, you know, Diego grow to resent him and his exacting methods? Um, oh, I think I think there's a lot of respect between uh, Diego and Tony. I, I can't really comment on the personal nature, but, I mean, Di- Diego was fantastic in that that season where Glory did win the Premier's yeah. play. I, we kind of forget he missed the start of a season. Um, and then he went on to score seven goals and have six assists in 20 games after that. Um, I actually think he was... As, I think we kind of forget he was very, very good under Tony Popovich. Um, the 2019-20 season, um, he scored seven. He had scored four and had seven assists in 18 games um, before the league and the country and the world went into lockdown. Um, and I had, I actually remember saying him and Diamante were neck and neck for the Johnny Warren medal at the start, at the kind of midway point of that 2019-20 season. He was. It was a bit of an underwhelming um, performance from Glory that season as they looked to go one better under Tony Popovich. But I thought Castro kind of carried them through games at times. He was, he didn't look like a 38-year-old that season. Obviously, what followed next was, you know, disappointing from uh, a, lot of ang- uh, a lot of angles. Uh, the fact that he didn't rejoin the club was, you know, it was sad that he didn't, um, that he opted out of joining, joining them in the, in the hub. Uh, but I think that's kind of, like you say, I don't think anything can tarnish his reputation amongst Glory fans unless he joins another club. Um, I think, you know, I think some Glory fans have maybe just forgot how good he was. Like, everyone loves Castro. Um, But I think there's, you know, not just Glory fans, but A-League fans as well. He was so good under Tony Popovich. Um, You know, the way he, when they won the, you know, the Premier's Plate, the way he combined with Andy Kyo. Um, but he was so, you know, he'd pop up on the left and he'd open up space for Davidson to drive forward from wing back. Davidson was excellent that season. And then he'd pop up on the right and Ivan Franjic would do the same. And he was so always so good at bringing players into that game. He was, for, for um, pretty much his entire glory career, he was he bore the sole creative burden for Perth glory. You know, they never really had another good creative midfielder to pair him with apart from... Georgie Shandor, the Hungarian, who was only there Castro's first season. Um, you know, everything revolved around Castro and um, certainly under Popovich, that was very much the case. Um, did Melbourne actually have any foreign spots left? I mean, they can always create one by getting uh, mutual with someone. But I, I uh, think they do. I, I have to check that. But uh, I think the cap space would be uh, a yeah. more uh, pressing concern than the And you're uh, not bringing in spots. a... Yeah. And you're not bringing in a player like Castro unless you're paying him good money, you know. And mm-hmm. I think um, going back to kind of your original point, I do think that maybe, you know, Tony Popovich, if I could definitely see him popping up at Melbourne Victor. I think I think it's a very, very low pop probability, but is de- he's definitely the sort of player that I think pop- that Popovich team needs. I don't know whether a 40-year-old Diego Castro would be as effective as a 37-year-old Diego Castro was uh, under Tony Popovich. But looking at Melbourne teams that's currently constructed, there is, I do kind of wonder where, if Popovich has learnt his previous lessons um, from, you know, his time at Perth Glory, um, where they kind of really struggled to break down compact defences, um, you know, teams that would sit behind the ball, uh, at Castro, you know, with his brilliance, with his ability to create both 
both with the ball and without the ball to find these little pockets of space, uh, you know, even against compressed defences. Um, and, you, you know, you combine him with the likes of Marco Rojas and Robbie Cruz and Chris Economides. Uh, and, yeah, that would be, that would probably, if he did end up there, I think it would be very hard to stop Melbourne victory, you know, for the title this season. But obviously it all depends on, first of all, whether Castro has any interest in ever returning to play for Melbourne. Maybe, like I said, we don't really know too much about the man. Maybe he does consider Perth to be the only Australian mm-hmm. team he'd consider playing for. Uh, but, yeah, I think, you know, if he did, if it there was a, you know, scenario where he did end up with a victory and playing for Tony Popovich, I, by all accounts, they got on fine during their time uh, at Perth. And I think he could really unlock some things, um, even, you know, even at this age, you know, maybe he wouldn't be a, you know, play 90 minutes every week guy. In fact, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't. But, you know, to have that up your sleeve maybe for 30 minutes at the end of a game would be make Melbourne victory very, very dangerous. Well, you raised the point about the visa spots. And just to clarify that, uh, there are there is one spot available, but everyone expects it to be filled by this Italian striker, Francesco yes. Maggiotta, who is surely to be announced Um you know, in the next few days. So uh, I forgot about Rojas being a Kiwi. There you go. There is, a, there probably isn't a spot for him if uh, if a striker is that last visa place. Bakua, I'd cut you off there. Well, no, I was just with Castro heading out the door. There is a new bigger rival, shiny English striker by the name of Daniel Sturridge. Can he fill the boots of Diego Castro? Is that is are we going to see some magic or is he? Is it going to be an injury riddle season? What are, what are our predictions? I think Sturridge is, he's, in terms of, he's obviously, you know, he is a great replacement for Castro in terms of marketing ability, you know, um, off the field, you know, the fact that they can now say, well, we've lost Castro, but we have Daniel Sturridge. Uh, there are a lot of Liverpool fans, a lot of English Premier League fans in Perth who will, you know, Tony Sage has already, you know, hinted that, hey, if there's demand for 30,000 tickets for Daniel Sturridge's opening game, we will move it to Optus Stadium if we can. Um, So from a, you know, off the field point of view, it's a very good replacement to, you know, play, replace the club's greatest ever player with a guy who, you know, five years ago was a, had it, was enjoying a frankly brilliant uh, English Premier League season uh, obviously, on the field is where his true, where Daniel Sturridge's true worth will be measured. Uh, he is the sort, you know, he's a very different player to Diego, um, and that's kind of why I'm a bit worried about his impact. I'm obviously not questioning Sturridge's ability. He's a fantastic mm. footballer when fit, and that is the biggest caveat. When fit, you know, are we going to get Daniel Sturridge, who you know he says he's in great shape? Uh, you know, he says he's been working with personal trainer. He says he feels awesome. Um, he's, he says he's really keen to play football again. You know, if his body, you know, can hold up, I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna be really good. I think he's going to be a very good uh, addition to this Perth Glory team. I think he could really, you know, he putting him next to Bruno Fornarola is going to be fun. Like that is something I'm really. I'm just looking forward to watching Sturridge. The biggest thing for me, and I've said this so many times, you know, for years, and I've even mentioned it today, you know, Diego Castro, for pretty much his entire time at Perth Glory, he bore that sole creative burden. He was the, you know, the sun in the Perth Glory solar system because everything revolved around him. You know, for all the um, 
fantastic players they have kind of put with Castro, like Andy, like Andy Chio, Adam Taggart, uh, Chris Economides, Bruno Fornaroli. They're very different types of players to Castro. And even when they all played with him at various stages of Castro's glory career, Castro was still the creative outlet. He was still the guy who was, you know, he was getting the ball. He was doing the hard yards. He was creating. Mm -hmm. He really never got too much help, even, you know, the season, you know, the seasons under Popovich. It was still very much the game plan was get the ball to Diego's feet. Everyone run off him. He'll create something. We'll go from there. Sturridge is not Diego Castro. He's a very different type of player to Diego Castro. He is not necessarily someone who can create with a ball at his feet in the same way as Diego Castro does. Sturridge, you know, he's an you know excellent dribbler. He's very athletic. He's going to be a very different player to Castro, but he's not. I don't think he's going to be someone who's going to get ball to feet, who's going to slow the game down, who's going to draw defenders in, who's going to roll past them, who's going to move inside, find these little pockets of space. You know, get into the half spaces, wait for a teammate, teammate to overlap, wait for a defender to come at him, and then push the ball past him. When I think of Daniel Sturridge, I think about you know, sorry to use the buzzword, but pace and power. Um, mm-hmm. He um, he's very, and that's you know, he's very good at using pace and power. He is a you know, that's what I love about watching Daniel Sturridge. He's a he's a very classy footballer, but he's not the playmaker that Diego Castro is. And, that's and on that I note, Ben, I did want yep. to ask. I mean, just how many forwards can Richie Garcia cram into one Perth Glory lineup? Because there's Fornaroli, Keo, Sturridge, Sardinero. You know, that's a lot of a lot of strikers, and not a lot of, as you're hinting at with this answer, not a lot of creativity, not a lot of service. And that what's that's what worries me about this season because we saw a lot last season about this sort of Richard Garcia four two four sort of slinging crosses into the box. It was. Uh, trying to hit a nail with a sledgehammer at times. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even last season, in that, like you say, in Garcia's system, it was still, let's give the ball to Castro. I know like, that was still the game plan. It was still revolving around Castro's ability to create. And at his age, that was less of a, you know, less of a given. He was still very good at doing it. That was a fantastic, there was a, Game late in the season against Adelaide, where he, you know, basically created the middle, uh, the winner from the middle of the park on a breakaway, with this in you know, a very subtle piece of, you know, brilliance where he's just kind of, you know, his where his body shape has just managed to allow him to get past Ben Halloran and then he split the lines of a pass, um, and like you say, you know, all those names: Fornaroli, Kyo. Uh, Sturridge, Sardinero, who I'm really intrigued to watch. They're all strikers. You know, Sardinero, by the sounds of it, can play out on the wing. I've heard rumours that he will be, you know, lining up as a ten, which you know might go some way to replacing that vacuum, that lack of a, a you know, of a ten. But if you look at all the Perth Glory central midfielders, it's Brandon O'Neill, who is, you know, he we Brandon O'Neill is a pretty strong central midfielder at A League level. But he's not creative. He's very much, I'm going to get the ball. I'm going to keep the ball. I'm not going to turn the ball over. I'm going to be very, you know, I'm good at breaking up attacks. I'm a good passer. But he's not a very creative player. He's he's a turbocharged version of, I guess, Neil Kilkenny type of player we saw. I've obviously rate sure. a lot higher than Kilkenny. But it's he's not someone who's going to be able to create, create from open play, who is going to draw defenders in with dribbling. Um, and then you've got Mitch. They've just signed Mitch Oxborough, who 
I'm intrigued to see how he fits in. Um, you know, there's he was he's someone who I remember as a teenager. There were always like, there was a lot of talk about how this this Mitch Oxbridge kid's really talented. And he hasn't really lived up to it, but we've we've seen glimpses. But I, you know, I still don't know whether you can count on him at A League level. Um, and then there's um, Liam. Uh, is it Liam Bodnar? Uh, I'm actually not sure. The uh, uh, Luke Bodnar, perhaps. Luke Bodnar. I called him Eddie Bo- Bodnar by accident <laughs> Eddie last Bosnar. year. That's <laughs> if you say enough names, you'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've, yeah, I've just spraying darts at the board. Uh, yeah. But yeah, Bodnar, you know, he, you know, he, I thought he did all right last season in Central Mitchell, sure. but he is a centre-back by trade. Uh, you know, Callum Timmons, I think, is quite a tidy player, um, but he's not someone I, you know, who I... Th- kind of looked at last season and thought he is definitely the answer to their, you know, creative midfield problems. And then you've got Osama Malik as well, who is definitely not the, you know, the, uh, the solution to that, to that issue. You know, he, I still think Malik is a center back who gets played in the middle of a park and kind of looks lost and looks like he's, you can see the kind of cogs turning in his brain every time he's playing as a holding midfielder. Um, So yeah, I, I just don't know how they're going to create. Like they have all these forwards, but, and I, I've been saying this for, you know, all off season, what are Perth Glory going to do to try and sign, you know, a central midfielder who can create from deep. And, mm. you know, I don't, I think. Rather thin on the ground in Australian football, those kinds of players. They are, they are, they very much are. I think, you know, Mustafa Ramini was kind of a one who was everyone who, uh, you know, I think Glory were linked with him at one point and that would have been interesting. I haven't really followed Amini's career in Europe too closely. Obviously went from being a, you know, quite a exciting attacking player during his time to Central at Central Coast to a much more reserved, deeper midfielder. So I don't know how he would have factored in had they managed to sign him, whether he would have helped. I just haven't seen enough of him. But there like you say, you know, Australia has a real real dearth of um these you know six these sixes you know there's not many you know midfielders who can create from deep you know Yugarkovic is one of them um and even he didn't have you know probably his best season last year so you know Antonis and other so Western Sydney is hogging these guys and uh yeah yeah Antonis yeah Antonis and Antonis was the other one I was thinking of and I think Glory were were trying to sign him at one point as well which I was you know you know as someone who watches a lot of Perth Glory games. I would have very much liked to see Terry Antonis in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, yeah, like I think that kind of just speaks to a bigger, wider problem that, you know, that is uh, very, you know, pertinent in the Australian game. Where are the good central midfielders? The Socceroos um, are asking that same question, Ben. Yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, we've, we've hit on the common theme that I think all FNR shows end up coming back to, but uh, Ben, we better <laughs> leave it there uh, and let this to be a demonstration to uh, those parochial uh, Western Australians that the East Coast media does respect <laughs> Daniel, uh, Diego Castro's legacy and, and the Perth glory, and we're excited to see Daniel Sturridge if anyone can get him the ball. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I thought you were going to say if anyone could get over the border. <laughs> <laughs> That's the That's other issue. Well. <laughs> a topic for I'll, another day. I'll see if I can ask Mark McGowan. <laughs> yeah, put in a good word, please. Uh, ben Smith, thank you so much for joining us. No worries. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Bacoa.